0: It is so good to be with you this morning. To be able to sing together corporately is such a blessing. If you have a Bible, I want to invite you to 2 Samuel chapter 2. Last week, we were able to work through the first portion of this chapter. We're going to pick up in verse 8 and work through the remaining section of this passage, 2 Samuel, chapter 2. Please follow along as I read from God's word. But Abner, the son of Ner, commander of Saul's army, Took Ishbosheth, the son of Saul, and brought him over to Mehenium. And he made him king over Gilead, and the Asherites, and Jezreel, and Ephraim, and Benjamin, and all Israel. Ishbosheth, Saul's son, was forty years old when he began to reign over Israel. And he reigned two years. But the house of Judah followed David. And the time that David was king in Hebron over the house of Judah was seven years and six months. Abner, the son of Ner, and the servants of Ishbosheth, the son of Saul, went out from Mahiniam to Gibeon. And Joab, the son of Zer- Zeruah, and the servants of David went out and met them at the pool of Gibeon. And they sat down. The one on the one side of the pool, and the other on the other side of the pool. And Abner said to Joab, "Let the young men arise and compete before us." And Joab said, "Let them arise." Then they arose and passed over by number, twelve from for Benjamin and Ishbosheth, the son of Saul, and twelve of the servants of David, and each caught his opponent. By the head and thrust his sword into his opponent's side, so they fell down together. Therefore, that place was called Helkath-Hazurim, which is in Gibeon, which is at Gibeon. And the battle was very fierce that day, and Abner and the men of Israel were beaten before the servants of David. And the three sons of Zeruah were there: Joab, Abishai, and Asahel. Now Asahel was as swift foot as a wild gazelle, and Asahel pursued Abner, and as he went, he turned neither to the right hand nor to the left from following Abner. Then Abner looked behind him and said, Is it you, Asahel? And he answered, It is I. Abner said to him, Turn aside to your right hand or to your left and seize one of the young men and take his spoil. But Asahel would not turn aside from following him. And Abner said again to Asahel, Turn aside from following me. Why should I strike you to the ground? How then could I lift up my face to to your brother Joab? But he refused to turn aside. Therefore, Abner struck him in the stomach with the butt of his spear, so that the spear came out at his back. And he fell there and died where he was. And all who came to the place where Asahel had fallen and died stood still. But Joab and Abishai pursued Abner, and as the sun was going down, they came to the hill of Amah, which lies before Gaia on the way to the wilderness of Gibeon. And the people of Benjamin gathered themselves together behind Abner and became one group and took their stand on the top of a hill. Then Abner called to Joab, "'Shall the sword devour forever? Do you not know that the end will be bitter?' How long will it be before you tell your people to turn from the pursuit of their brothers? And Joab said, As God lives, if you had not spoken, surely the men would have not given up the pursuit of their brothers until the morning. So Joab blew the trumpet, and all the men stopped and pursued Israel no more, nor did they fight anymore. And Abner and his men went all that night through through the Arabah, They crossed the Jordan, and marching the whole morning, they came to Mahenniam. Joab returned from the pursuit of Abner, and when he had gathered all the people together, there were missing from David's servants 19 men besides Asahel. But the servants of David had struck down of Benjamin 360 of Abner's men, and they took up Asahel and buried him in the tomb of his father, which was at Bethlehem. And Joab and his men marched all night, and the day broke upon them at Hebron. Hear the word of the Lord. We may mention last Lord's Day, if you were with us, looking at the first part of this chapter, that the locations throughout this chapter are significant. We looked for a moment at Hebron, where David was anointed, If you look at verse four, by the men of Judah, they anointed David king over the house of Judah. And he got to that point by looking to the Lord, crying out, seeking the Lord's guidance, and his kingdom was established under divine guidance. And then as the story unfolds in this particular chapter, David's first, you could say, interaction that's recorded as king over Judah is by sending a messenger to the men of Jabesh-Gilead, an invitation, so to speak, to follow him as the leader of God's people, the anointed king. We made note that we were not told how that story really unfolded, what the conclusion was. How did the men respond? But then we get to this part of our chapter that we just read through and see that there is opposition by another kingdom and it's inaugurated by human ambition. And so we're introduced to Abner, who was Saul's commander, commander-in-chief. And we can see by the way he interacts with Ishbosheth, the son of Saul, that really he is the one in control of what's, what's happening uh, within Israel outside of now the, the area or the tribe of Judah where David is king. And so we see in verse 8, Abner, the son of Ner, commander of Saul's army, took Saul's son and brought him to another location, Mahinium. And that, again, is not maybe as significant as Hebron in the overall storyline of, of God's word, but nonetheless, it is important. So we, we first hear of this location, Mahinium, Actually, back in Genesis chapter 32, in verse 2 of that chapter in Genesis, Jacob met angels on his way to his reunion with his brother Esau, if you remember. And out of great fear of returning again and seeing his brother Esau, if you remember, he did not do him well, stole his birthright, etc. So much so that Esau wanted to kill his brother. His parents sent him away. He's now returning, and upon his return, in this location, Mahiniam, he separates his camp into two. Kind of staggering, if you remember, that they're going to kind of meet Esau in, in kind of sections, so maybe by the time it gets to Jacob, Esau's wrath will have been relented, and he may accept him, may forgive him. So at this point, it's separated into two camps. And so this place, Mahiniam, is referred to as the place of two camps. This is significant in this way. It, It really is, there's kind of irony to the story because what Abner is doing is establishing two camps of God's people, two kingdoms, so to speak, two kings in the land, when really God has only one anointed king, and that is King David. And so what we see in Abner, uh, we're going to spend a little bit of time thinking about and hopefully um, bringing some some application from it. So if you remember, many years later, after the death of Solomon, there would be a permanent split into the kingdoms named Israel and Judah. And so the seeds of that division we see here in this place, Mahennium, by Abner the commander placing Ishbosheth as king over the parts of Israel. David was opposed by another kingdom, and I want us to not miss this. It was inaugurated by human ambition. So, what Abner is doing here, very important, he's not just saying no to David, he's actually saying no to God. In establishing Saul's son as king over the other parts of Israel. And how do we know that? Just in the next chapter that we will get to, Lord willing, in 2 Samuel chapter 3, out of Abner's mouth is the confession of this reality that he knows that the Lord has promised David by saying, By the hand of my servant David, I will save my people Israel from the hand of the Philistines and from the hand of all their enemies. And so Abner's action was open rebellion against God. He had rejected, God had rejected Saul and chosen David as the prince of Israel. And Abner's action is in defiance of God's will, which he knew. So open rebellion against God's plan. Friends, this is an echo down the centuries from sinners towards God, towards God's chosen one. This is the anthem. We do not want this man to reign over us. Some things never change. Richard Phillips, in his commentary, put it like this. An unholy ambition like Abner's may be identified by the will to self-rule, that it displays, the word of God that it rejects, and the wickedness of man that it proves. So I want, I want us to look at Abner through the lens of nations or kingdoms and also personally. So first, thinking about the kingdom of Jesus, similarly suffering opposition from sinful mankind, we see this depicted in Psalm 2. So I want you to hear this reoccurring reality of the nations of this world. In Psalm 2, why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, this is is the heartbeat behind the kings of this world. Let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. He who sits in the heavens laughs. The Lord holds them in derision. Then he will speak to them in his wrath and terrify them in his fury, saying, As for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. Psalm 2 reminds us that as Abner's experience shows, no one can succeed in opposition to God's will and to his anointed king. Far better, as Psalm 2 concludes, to serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the son lest he be angry and you perish in the way, for his wrath is quickly kindled. Blessed are all those who take refuge in him. And so this is the truth that's coming out from this display of Abner's life. People are hardly eager to receive the kingdom of God on a on a king king kingdom level, a national level, and on an individual level. This is what's coming out of Abner's heart as he's responding by putting Saul's son in place of King David. Did God really say? It's the temptation that was heard even back in the garden. Did God really say that David is his anointed king? That is the same lie that is spit out to us even today. Did God really say? As we look at Abner, on a national scale and on a personal scale, we need to let Abner preach to us this morning. His life, his choices, let that preach to us. Hear this. It is possible to know the truth but not embrace the truth. To be able to quote the truth and actually not submit to the truth. Abner is not far from any of us. What's actually going on in all of our hearts outside of Christ, if laid bare before us this day, would be that same reality. I want to rule and reign on my little throne. I want my little kingdom. I want to say what is right and what is good for me. And what is being put on display here is that God has anointed his king. Will you submit? Will you follow? And Abner's display, manifestation in his life is a resounding no. His heart is is hardened to the submission of the kingdom of God. Friends, this is all of our state outside of the miraculous work of God upon our lives. Oh, but the wondrous work of the Holy Spirit in the believer. Oh, Palmer Robertson wrote it like this. I want you to hear his words. How often the clear words of Jesus have been misunderstood. People want to rewrite, you must be born again, to read something instead like, you must make yourself born again. You must do something in order to be born again, which makes no sense of a profound spiritual truth. Just as we did nothing to cause ourselves to be born into this fallen world, so we can do absolutely nothing to bring ourselves into the divinely renewed world of redemption. We must be born of the Spirit. We cannot coerce the Spirit of God to affect our regeneration. The wind blows where it will, and it is the Spirit's will, not ours, that causes a person to be born from above. So we must give the Holy Spirit the glory he deserves the cry of salvation as a consequence of the new birth is only because of the work of god and could never be the cause of someone's regeneration the spirit himself sovereignly does this great work of renewal by regeneration the power of sin is broken so as you as you look at abner and his complete rebellion against god please hear this Without the work of the Holy Spirit, you are in the exact same place. You may not be leading a a large group of people to establish a physical king in place to rule over, but what's going on in your heart is exactly the same thing. Did God really say, do I really want to submit to his anointed king, which is the Lord King Jesus? And that rebellion is happening even if on the outside your life looks pretty nice, pretty good. People might go, man, that guy is really, really sweet, really nice. Always a friend to help me out. Do not be deceived by who's actually ruling and reigning over your life. May we understand that outside of this wondrous work of the Holy Spirit in regeneration, we all are Abner. So let him preach to us this morning. For many of us in the Bible Belt, this lukewarm, nominative Christianity, hear this. You can know the truth, but not embrace it. And you can quote the truth, but not submit to it. Only by the miraculous work of God upon our lives can there be the power of sin broken and being made alive in Christ Jesus. And as we were reminded, if you were part of the foundations class, John Owen wrote these words, regeneration makes man's heart a battlefield where the flesh tirelessly disputes the supremacy of the spirit. There is a battlefield. So you may say, well, I'm a believer. I've experienced the new birth. We still battle with those same temptations that led Abner to bring Um, Saul's son and place him on the throne. It is a daily flesh engagement, uh, tirelessly disputes against the supremacy of the spirit. And what we see as this chapter unfolds is Abner's refusal to obey the will of God leads to much death and destruction. Again, Your life may not look like this battlefield experience being described, but if you are living an Abner life where you want to place a king over you to sovereignly rule and make it look like you want it to look, you need to understand your life will sooner or later manifest death and destruction. There actually is Benefit upon benefit, grace upon grace, when we look at life in Christ. Not only are we forgiven of our sins and given the gift of eternal life, but according to the new covenant, God writes his law upon our hearts and our minds. And when you think about the law of God, outside of Christ, it condemns us. We all fall short. We have all failed to keep God's law. But in Christ, he perfectly obeyed, he perfectly kept the law, his righteousness has been imputed to us, and the law of God is now what David wrote about in the Psalms. We long for it. It is like honey to our lips. It is good. It is the framework or the blueprint, so to speak, for a life that is a flourishing. And so we, we long to obey and to walk in a manner that pleases God because that actually leads to our ultimate good. How does this relate to Abner's life? He is not walking according to God's will, and where does it lead? Death and destruction. Will there still be heartache and trials of various kinds in Christ while we have breath in our lungs here? Of course. But this road towards death and destruction is for those who are living the life of Abner. Those who are in Christ, we know that it is no longer death and destruction ultimately that we have as the household of faith. So may we learn from Abner's example. Let him preach to us this morning. All right, we're gonna get moving here. There is some battles that take place first around the pool of Gibeon. A very strange thing that unfolds that for us it may seem very foreign. You've got Abner on one side of this this pool of Gibeon You've got Joab on the other side. Joab is the commander of David's army. Abner is is the the one who is still trying to keep Saul's kingdom running by placing his son in place. What what, what happens around this pool is interesting. It's, It's first to note Abner, the one who initiates, he's the one that takes the men from their place of Mahiniam all the way to Gibeon to start this whatever it is that he's hoping to accomplish here. It seems like a, a docile, peaceful place to meet. And what we find is he also initiates this 12-on-12 12 12 battle. It does not go well. All 24 die right before them. We see that unfold before us. And it just leads from that point to mayhem. I don't know if you, you missed the details, but what, what happens after that is a battle unfolds and David's men whoop up on all of Abner's men. I mean, the number ratio that, that we're given at the end of the chapter lets you know that David's men conquered, they defeated. That, that's happening then. We don't know exactly the timeline of this, but what, what happens soon after or during this time is um, Joab's brother. So if you saw the name uh, Zeruah, that was David's sister. So these three sons, Joab, Abishai, and Asahel are his nephews, and they serve King David. They've served him well. Joab's the lead commander. The other two brothers are growing up and becoming the soldiers that they were meant to be. We get this episode where one of the brothers, Asahel, you could say the Olympic runner, is going to take matters into his own, own hands, so to speak, and go after Abner, take him down. And so we see this running event that transpires. You've got one, Asahel, who is extremely gifted. Obviously, God has given him the gifting of of the description, uh, swift of foot as a wild gazelle. And unfortunately, this was Asahel's last race. As I was looking at this passage and trying to think about We're looking at Abner, there's things to learn there. With Asahel, we look at this man who was extremely gifted, longs to take down Abner himself, and the warrior Abner tries multiple times to say, do anything else but continue running after me, it's not going to end well for you. And as we look at Asahel's defiance of just continuing to press on, I want to actually share a little bit from um, Alister Begg on this particular section. And I, I know if anybody's following what's happening right now, there is some turmoil within Alistair Begg's ministry, and it's led me to just want to plead with you to pray for our brother, whose ministry has informed and shaped me in a lot of ways for good. And it seems that he has... Uh, gone wayward in some counsel that has been given to other believers. And I don't want to go down a rabbit trail, but what he says here is so helpful and it just prompted me to want to invite y'all to be praying for our brother who's in Cleveland, Ohio, a Scottish pastor who has just had a huge impact through Truth for Life ministry. Pray that the Lord would do a work in his life uh, during this this time of his ministry. Uh, what he says in regards to this passage and Asahel in particular that I find so helpful is this. Beware lest the gifts that God has given you become the occasion of your own destruction. I've been thinking about this. What actually happens here? If we could put it into a sentence, this is what he says, Asahel's boldness combined with his giftedness, resulted in his death. So gifts that God gives us, which are real gifts, we may actually use in such a way that they are a detriment to ourselves or to others. And so you look at Asahel, one who has been given this gift. So some in this room have been given a gift physically when it comes to sports, athletics, and what we see, and there are parallels here, beware lest the gifts that God has given you become the occasion of your own destruction. There's another example in scripture. I was thinking about, like, where else could we go? King Uzziah. This is 2 Chronicles chapter 26. I want you to just kind of hear a snapshot of this life who was extremely gifted by God. So, in Second Chronicles chapter 26, this is kind of the, the overview. Uzziah was very young, 16, when he became king and reigned. And he reigned for 52 years in Jerusalem. He set himself to seek God in the days of Zechariah. So it is told that he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, according to all that his father Amaziah had done. Then we get to Uzziah's pride and punishment. These are some of the things he was doing. Uzziah prepared for all the army's shields, spears, helmets, coats of mail, bows, and stones for slinging. He did amazing things on the war front. In Jerusalem he made machines invented by skillful men to be on the towers and the corners to shoot arrows and great stones. And his fame spread for he was marvelous, marvelously helped till he was strong. That's the description of Uzziah. But when he was strong, verse 16, he grew proud to his destruction, for he was unfaithful to the Lord, his God, and he entered the temple of the Lord to burn incense on the altar of incense. Something happened in his life where he grew so proud that he started to function in the way that only the priests were allowed to function. So, Azariah, the priest, went in after him with 80 priests of the Lord who were men of valor to try to stop him and said, It is not for you, Uzziah, to burn incense to the Lord, but for the priests, the sons of Aaron, who are consecrated to burn the incense. And what happened? As he's in this action, he is, he is receiving the judgment of the Lord, and leprosy becomes part of his life till the end of his life. He is a leper. He spends the remaining days of his life to the day of his death, being a leper, lived in a separate house, for he was excluded from the house of the Lord. Again, looking at Asahel, your own life, the gifts that you have been given. Beware lest the gifts that God has given you become the occasion of your own destruction. As this chapter comes to an end, the unfolding is that after Asahel is killed, many stood and looked. And then Abner ends up continuing to flee with the men of Benjamin. They find themselves on top of a mountain we're told that Joab and Abishai, the other brothers, pursue him. And it wasn't until Abner, in some political kind of jujitsu, convinces Joab, whoa, there's been so many deaths already. Please stop. This is only going to end bad if you continue to pursue us. Convinces Joab to blow the horn, which brings everyone back, and they end up going back to their places. mehenium where uh, Ishbosheth ruled and back to Hebron where David was ruling in Judah. Now the casualties, you can see the numbers for yourself. It looked like 20 casualties was the extent of David's side if that include the 12 at the beginning of the day and then the ensuing battle had cost just seven plus Asahel. But then we see 360 of Abner's men. So clearly... Joab and the men of David defeated Abner and his men that day. But where I want to kind of bring this to a close is actually the last location, not the end destination of the two armies, but where they actually bury Asahel. So it's kind of in passing, but there's this reference that he's buried in Bethlehem. And so we begin in Hebron, where David is Installed or anointed to be king over Judah. And then we see the two camps, Mehenium, and what Abner's about. And then we see Bethlehem. And John Woodhouse, in his commentary, says, What is being displayed here is this fact that if you want to be on the right side of history, despite all the hopelessness of the events described in this chapter, you need to know the significance of Bethlehem. What hope was left? I mean, after this experience, what in the world, what good could possibly come from the people that were chosen by God to be his people now split into two camps, two kings in the land, Bethlehem? God's kingdom would come, but by means that are completely different, than the failed strategies of both Abner and Joab in the days of David. So we look many, many years forward. Bethlehem would feature again in God's strange ways of establishing his kingdom. It would be a millennium after the events of 2 Samuel chapter two, a son of David was born in Bethlehem. It is beautiful for us to think about Christ being born, the king of kings, in this same place. He is the king whom David could only dimly foreshadow. So in God's strange ways, the death and resurrection of Jesus was God's ultimate victory over all evil. And the kingdom of his Christ is now advancing and this is how it's advancing. We, we see this war unfold before us. The kingdom is advancing by the weak foolishness of the word of the cross going forth. So we, we know what our charge is as believers in Christ and how God's kingdom advances. We go with what seems like weak and folly to the world, yet it holds the treasure of life and it is an invitation into the kingdom of God. It is Calvary's cross and the Lord Jesus. Hear this prophecy of old, and unto us a child is born, and unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government, there will be no end. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the examples of Abner and Asahel in this particular chapter of your word. Lord, I pray that the Holy Spirit would help apply what we have looked at this morning to our hearts in our minds. To look at Abner's way, let his example truly preach to us this morning and may we not be found in his camp. Father, give those who are in his camp and are blind to it eyes to see that they have not submitted to the Lordship of Christ. They may say the right things And look like they're doing the right things, but if their heart was laid bare, Father, you know. And may this be the day of salvation. And then interesting to see the example of Asahel. May we glean from this as well. And may we spend time with your help assessing the gifts that you have given us and ask, are we following what the Apostle Paul charges in his letter to the Romans, that we are to use the gifts given by God for others' good. For your glory and others' good. May we assess our lives now and with the help of the Spirit, walk in a manner worthy of our calling. And Lord, we pray all of this in Christ's holy name. Amen.